Hello, and welcome to episode eight of the Three Caffeinated Coaches podcast. We invite you to grab some caffeine, take that first sip, and join us as we discuss all things mentoring, coaching, and leading across education. I'm Shannon. And I'm Becky. And today we thought we would piggyback off of episode six, stick to the reflective practices approach, and discuss some lessons learned throughout the combined 19 years we both have in education. Over the last few years, many of our listeners have probably seen that activity where a teacher provides the following statement with the idea that students would finish it. If my teacher knew, as someone you know who has used this in her own classroom practice, it's such a powerful activity because it really afforded me a lot of like rich insight into the learners that I had the pleasure of teaching. So Becky and I were chatting about this a little bit earlier, and we kind of presented this idea of what if we could consider some of the insights of our former selves? Like if we stopped and took the time to reflect on the moments that mattered in our own careers, what would be some insights we would share with ourselves or some lessons learned that have guided us as we've progressed forward? So we invite you to take the time to reflect on your own experience in the areas of teaching, coaching, mentoring, and leading, and join us on our journeys of reflection. So Becky, let's kick it off. Let's focus on our teaching careers first. Can you share with us a lesson learned about teaching? Maybe set the scene first and then dive into like what the lesson learned was or the takeaway? Yeah, definitely. So I'm really excited to dive into this reflective practice and lessons learned. And I want to start it not as a first year teacher, but with the scenario of being an experienced teacher new to a site. Some of us are lucky and we stay at the same site for our entire teaching career, but that's not very common. And so for me, I was not a first year teacher. I had a couple years experience. I had moved to a new state and started at a new site and in a new grade. And I was super excited, but I ended up trying to replicate everything that was happening at my old site. And I kept using the term of, well, this is how we did it at my last school. Well, couldn't we bring this in? Because this is how we did it. And it worked really well. And the reality was it actually didn't work at this new site because we were working with a different demographic of students, different grade. They had their own culture, their own climate at this site that I hadn't taken the time to fully consider. For me, it was just like, hey, I have some experience. Let me bring that and share it with all of you. And didn't take the time to actually say, do you want me to bring this in and share this with all of you? Because they were also experienced teachers that I was working with on my team. So I would say my greatest lesson learned from that, from moving, being an experienced teacher, new to a site is I should have come in with an open mindset, ready to learn. Although I have these best practices and strategies, I should have taken the time to listen, learn from my team, understand that culture and climate and ask, Hey, do you need ideas on this? Or, uh, we've tried, I've tried this in my past. It worked out. What do you think of this instead of pushing an agenda or, uh, old practices on this new site? So it was a, quite the experience. Yeah. And I, oh man, I think every educator has that moment of, you know, I need to be true to myself. I need to be true to my artistry. Yes. I can learn from others, but you know, let's, let's, feel the vibe, right? And pick and choose what's appropriate for the setting in and of itself. That's great. I love that. Yeah. So it it was a fun experience. Uh, I definitely learned from it. Reflecting back, you know, I would change things going into a new site, but happy that it happened so I could learn and happy to share with all of you. Shannon, do you want to share a teaching experience that you've gone through? 
there are so many moments that I like kind of pondered about regarding how do I approach this right with my own teaching, like what lessons were the most impactful. And I think all of our listeners, you know, who have been in the classroom probably can reflect on moments that, you know, really did set the groundwork for who they decided to become as they progressed throughout their teaching career. For me, I think one of my biggest kind of recent takeaways, uh, and, you know, I've been in the classroom for 10 years now, so full decade, and I'm always evolving and always learning. But one of my recent takeaways has to do with understanding that the learners are different. So let me set the scene a little bit. I struggle with control. <laughs> and I don't think I'm alone in that. Uh, I think probably, you know, Becky's smiling along with me here, but control is a hard one, right? giving up that control in your own classroom practice kind of is a struggle. And that kind of piggybacks on what you were saying a few seconds ago, but mine has to do with the learners. So as an English teacher, right? Like you have these standards that you have to meet and that's any, that's any subject, but I specifically teach and have been teaching for the last seven years, uh, advanced placement English. And so there are very clear parameters. I need to get my students to achieve X, Y, Z in preparation for the advanced placement test that happens in May. And mm -hmm. so for the past few years, I've really tried to like be my best AP teacher. So I've tried to like dig my claws into the content and the curriculum and, you know, it needs to look a certain way. And if the expression from the students doesn't align with exactly what I think it needs to align with, like I failed as a teacher. Well, that's not true. And I'm learning that more and more. And I think within this last year with pandemic education, it's become much more illuminated to me that. I can't maintain complete control over every expression of learning that my students provide. In fact, if I'm giving a one size fits all approach to the curriculum to every student, well, then I'm automatically setting those students up for failure. They may do okay on the AP test, right? But mm -hmm. there is value in personalized learning. And we say this left and right. We talk about it, but the truth is this, like sometimes it's harder to like personalize the learning because it means uh, you know, planning for a bunch of different scenarios. And one thing I'm really learning is that like, I tend to over scaffold in a lot of ways, which, you know, doesn't allow my students to express their understanding or their learning in a way that's meaningful to them. The lesson I'm learning is it's okay to pull back as an educator. It's okay to kind of let it go and offer your students a lot more uh, opportunity to decide the direction of their own learning doesn't mean that as a teacher, you step aside and don't guide them in that practice, you know, but it is important to provide them a space to kind of figure out what works for them. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And I, I actually want to talk a little more about this before we move on to our next lesson learned. So you've brought up some really good points, like truly allowing that productive struggle for students is challenging. And then I'm thinking not being in that AP world, but we are in the world right now of we have these priority essential standards and it's getting even more into the nitty gritty because we're calling, you know, learning loss from all of this mm. year that you know, there's right. big words we keep hearing, but they're <laughs> saying to combat that we need to have these priority essential standards for you. It's like you have to prepare these students for the AP exam. You've got to get them ready. And so we sometimes hyper focus on that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hearing. And you're definitely not alone, but we hyper-focus to the point that it is easy to forget to allow that productive struggle and to allow students to have some voice and say, so I'm curious before we move on, because I know this is a lesson learned for you. 
-hmm. How have you taken that idea of, I need to give my students the opportunity to kind of guide their own learning. And I need to put this back on the students and I need to do less scaffolding. How have you been able to bring that into your practice and how do you plan to continue to grow with it? I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't fully figured it out quite yet, but I am putting kind of some pieces in play. So first and foremost, I'm really trying to continue the dialogue with my students surrounding this idea of competition. And, you know, competition isn't a bad thing, but when it comes to, I'm only striving to complete assignments because I want the A or I need to be competitive in, in my approach to, you know, where my ranking is across my site, like that becomes problematic because then it's about just ticking a box versus like actual learning. And so starting with those conversations, which has been a challenging one, to be honest with you, my students, my demographic, they are um, competing for the UC University of California colleges of the world and the Mm -hmm. Stanford's the Ivy leagues. And so you can't completely say like grades don't matter. They do, do. but it's shifting the perspective of saying, okay, fine. You know, don't worry about like that, but like, let's focus in on what are we learning? What are the skills that we're learning? What is the content that we're learning? And um, as far as like allowing them that opportunity to, to shine in whatever way works for them, I recently have been incorporating more choice boards. It's really been valuable, especially with the virtual teaching to giving them the opportunity for kind of diving in in that way. Oh, I love that. And we're going to dive into coaching, but I, I'm going to share an article with you. I don't have it off the top of my head. I usually try to ahead of time. So we'll throw that in the show notes for everybody. But you talked about grades, you know, they are important. And this article that I recently read around formative and summative assessments, it aligned to that. It says grades, they show progress towards mastery. Mm-hmm where assessments help guide us. So formative assessments, which is what you're giving is where we can have that choice and we can use those to give productive feedback to help students in reaching that mastery level. So that's beautiful. And I'm super excited to hear how this journey continues for you. I want to hear from our listeners too. So as you're listening, think about how you are allowing your students to go through productive struggle, but also show their own voice and understanding through ways that matter to them. Let's transition though into coaching. So we talked about a couple lessons learned from teaching. We both are in coaching roles and I know I've learned a lot, but Shannon set the stage, give us a scenario and talk about a lesson learned from coaching that you've had. All right. So coaching for me is new. Uh, This is my first year. I mean, in a formal capacity. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, informally, I think a lot of us coach, whether we like to admit it to ourselves or not, but in a formal capacity, this is the first year that I've actually been given the role of site technology coach. And, you know, that's wavered between like an actual true tech coach to an instructional coach and everything in between. And to be honest with you, I've learned so much to start off. Let me, let me take you back to the very beginning. Right. So everybody knows pandemic <laughs> kind of <laughs> disrupted some things and classroom practice looked a little different. And so some of the first couple coaching experiences I had with an educator, I, you know, was super excited. I love tech. I, I love technology and I love what it can do for a lesson, enhance it or amplify it. And uh, so I met with this, this teacher a couple of times and you know, we started off just getting to know each other, but when it came time to, okay, here's the actual classroom practice. What are we going to, you know, what tech are we going to use? How are we going to support our learning? What is the objective? All that good stuff that you talk about where, you know, is their issue or their problem that they'd like to focus and they expressed it and all is well. I mean, we have a great relationship, but 
I started to throw out all sorts of kind of technological integrations that might work, right? I'm like, oh, you could totally use Pear Deck here and then you could transition to Padlet here and then maybe end with a <laughs> Google form and or a Flipgrid reflection at the end of that, you know? So I'm like throwing out all these things and they're just like nodding along like, uh, you know, finally after <laughs> I failed forward, <laughs> they were, you know, strong enough to speak up and be like, hey, yo you're throwing way too much on my plate and I'm still trying to master like Google docs. Right. I, 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 mm -hmm. we, we had to switch our LMS learning management system this year. So in addition to teaching online for the first time, they also had a brand new learning management system that they were trying to navigate and figure out. It was a learning curve. And I was stoked about the fact that we could like integrate technology. And there's all these pieces that existed there that really could enhance the lesson. And the lesson learned from that experience, and I learned it pretty quickly, uh, and it really has helped kind of pave the way for more successful coaching experiences uh, as we've gone throughout the year. But the lesson I learned there, the takeaway was, you know, coach the educator you have, not the one that you want. One of my struggles as a human is, <laughs> and my friends always like to remind me of this, is um, I go 100% all the time. In fact, uh, my friends like to call me a robot because like, <laughs> I just, I just go, go, go and find solution. And, you know, it's not healthy. Um, I am reflective in the process a lot of the time, but like, I also have to realize people have lives, you know, and, uh, you know, this particular educator I was working with had children at home that she was trying to balance. I need to realize that, like, even though I have this educator that's stoked to be coached and they are looking forward to what they, <laughs> they can do in their classroom, that it just needs to be at their own pace. And just because I was excited about the technology and everything that it could do. And I know like deep down that educator is capable of integrating technology to amplify learning they needed the space to do it in a way that worked for them. It needed to be slower. <laughs> they needed to take that first risk with the use of technology in a way that didn't totally deject them. So to have them do like three or four different technological pieces over the course of the unit just was unrealistic. So moving forward, you know, really focusing on coaching the educator I have, and that involves me slowing down and getting to know them in a deep level not the one that I want or know that they could be, you know, because eventually they'll, they'll get where they need to go. Um, and that's not up for me to decide. Uh, you are not alone in that. I think every coach out there, especially our ed tech coaches, our tech coaches can <laughs> all 100% relate. We've all been there. I was laughing as you were sharing this because it is so beyond relatable. And even if it's not just in technology, even if you, let's say you're a reading coach, it's really easy to start throwing out all the terminology and all the activities and strategies. And just like you said, like, you know, they can do this, right? But they have to be ready for it. And it needs to be something that they're just as excited about. It's the same with our students. So yeah, definitely a lesson learned, but you're not alone in learning that lesson. Yeah. You're right. And I know that. And I, and I've had conversations with other coaches and it's really kind of, you know, it's, it's comforting to know that like, here's the reality. We're all going to fail. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm not even saying like in our, in our capacity as a teacher, like as a coach, as a leader, as a mentor, we all fail. It's just a matter of what do we learn from the experience to move us forward. And that's why I like really am enjoying these, this conversation. And I thought that we both kind of thought that this would be a special conversation to have because, goodness, lessons learned are applicable across all um, teaching and coaching, mentoring, 
leading uh, arenas and everybody has their own story and that's how we learn, right? We, we learn from stories. So yeah. What about you? You've been coaching a lot longer than I have. What are some lessons you've learned in that experience? I still feel really new to coaching. So I like that you say a lot longer, like I'm just finishing my third year of coaching and I feel like it's each year still feels like the first year. Someday it won't feel as new, but for me, a lesson learned is around confidentiality. And we talk about confidentiality a lot when it comes to coaching, but in my first year of coaching, I was sharing out every single bright spot, every growth, every positive moment, because in my classroom, when I would meet as a PLC or when I would meet with admin, the first thing I wanted to do was share out all the positive things happening with my students, right? Because I wanted to show them off. My students were amazing. So I did the same thing with teachers. It was like, well, now I'm a coach. And so I'd meet with my CCT or uh, coaches collaborative time. And I would be sharing out these amazing things teachers were doing. And I was like, oh my goodness, look at this picture. And look what this teacher came up with for when we coached, we talked about needing to work on this. And we talked about needing to try this on. And she did this and how awesome and amazing is she or he. So I was really excited to share them out. And I never once took a second to think, about whether or not they wanted me to share them out. Mm, Right. I never asked because with my students, I did not say, Hey, do I have permission to go and share this awesomeness with another teacher? I just did. Now Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if maybe I should have asked the students, but (laughs) I just did. I, I really like showing them off. So it was not an ill-intentioned breach of confidentiality. It was truly that I was excited to show off where our coaching cycles were going and where these teachers had grown and changed and didn't take a second to think twice about it. Now, what I have learned from this, my biggest lesson learned is that confidentiality is key. Mm -hmm. And I had to think about every bright spot I was showcasing was also showcasing an area of growth for that teacher. It was kind of calling them out. And I didn't think about that because every time I would say, you know, oh, we worked on this, this teacher was really struggling with bringing in phonics lessons. And so for the first half of the year, her students didn't get any phonics lessons. And now we figured out a way to tie it in. Well, you know that the admin's hearing, wait, we had students (laughs) go for four months without getting phonics, right? (laughs) you know, and that's a really broad scenario. I'm not saying that happened, but I didn't take a second to think about the fact that the teacher may not want their areas of growth showcased because they might not be confident in that yet. Or the amount of times that I would say, look at this lesson that this teacher has brought in where she's really bringing in, you know, cross-curricular activities, tying in technology as excited as I was. I never asked the teacher, Hey, are you excited for me to showcase this so that others may be coming to you to ask you for help? Yeah. Didn't think about any of that. And so now lesson learned, I ask permission to share anything, like anything and everything I will ask and say, this is amazing. Others could learn from this. Can I showcase this? Can I share this? And I don't just ask if I can share it. I ask like specifically, can I share this in my digital update or can I share this at my coaches collaborative? Because I want them to know where I'm sharing it and why I'm sharing it. So that way there is a true trust and confidentiality there. Oh my goodness. It's like moved us mountains. And I rarely have a teacher say no, because I give the reason for why I'm sharing. And if I don't have permission, I don't share. Yeah, no. And that's crazy. I haven't thought at all about that idea that like you're showcasing the areas of growth when you are celebrating someone's, you know, accomplishment. That's, that's really, really kind of 
eye-opening to me. I hadn't thought about that. And now you make me think like, well, maybe I shouldn't, I should be talking to my students about celebrating them. And, you know, the other thing you made me think about is like being so explicit and specific about the highlighting of where you're going to show that information allows them to keep the power and the autonomy, Mm -hmm. right? Like if they get the last say, you know, based on the context or the, or the situation that you're presenting them, they now still own that. We talked a little bit about that in one of our past shows. If Mm -hmm. I give information out now, everybody is a part of owning that information or those feelings. Well, and the same is true with the successes in a classroom. Maybe some teachers just want to celebrate their own personal growth. And, you know, I'm the type of person that honestly, if I am uh, something I've done is shared out in front of a whole staff, I get super uncomfortable putting me in the spotlight makes me really uncomfortable. And so I, I could get that. I see now that like that matters. And I never really would have thought about it because honestly, you're just celebrating, you're excited, but yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. We have to make sure that the celebration, although we're excited about it because you know, Oh, we, we helped them get there. Like we need to make sure they're on that same level. And so it was a lesson learned. Fortunately, I don't think I ruined any relationships with teachers, Right, Uh, but good to know going forward. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, I mean, largely, you know, gets me thinking about context as well. Like you're right. Like if we are helping to coach how much of that expression of celebration is grounded in, you know, we're really proud of this teacher for, for doing this thing and how much of it, and I'm sure a lot of it's there, but how much of it is, Hey, I actually am successful as a coach, like, and that personal pride that exists. And so maintaining that confidentiality and asking permission is important. It's important to, uh, the, the teacher to kind of decide where, where am I going to share? And I love though, like, don't get us wrong. I think it's important that we elevate the voices of others. I think new teachers, especially don't really toot their own horn. And so that's what a coach's role, but yeah, I think that you're right. You're right. It gives them that power and keeps that power. Okay. So we went through teaching, we went through coaching. I want to transition just a little bit. This next space that we're going to be talking about is similar to coaching, but it has some different aspects to it. Both Becky and I have, or have had the opportunity to be a mentor to induction candidates or new teacher candidates. And so Becky, let's talk about mentoring just a little bit. Think back on your experience as a mentor. What's some of the lessons learned during that process? So induction candidate is a California term that just means new teachers setting the scenario. As a first year induction mentor, I went through a training because I wanted to go in fully prepared for this to like support my induction candidates and get them through their first year. And one thing that was constantly brought up was the idea of gifts. Hmm. They brought up a lot of other stuff, but clearly gifts were brought up probably too much because it was everything from, you know, each time you meet with them, bring them a little gift, bring them a muffin, bring them this. And everyone was going around and sharing out all the gifts that they bring. And so that's what I took from this three-day training of being an induction mentor. And I got my first two candidates and I started bringing gifts every time we met. Little things like muffins or, you know, the little Starbucks cake pops or just something. And I got really focused on the, the gifts. 
It mm. sounds ridiculous, but these gifts were, it turned into a big deal. And so I was like, okay, what am I going to get them? Okay. There's a holiday coming up. I need to get them a gift. There's this coming up. I need <laughs> to have a gift. Shoot. I didn't have time to get them a gift. And I'm supposed to meet with them at three 30 today. I need to quickly like spend my lunch running to grab them something because they said show up with a gift. Yeah. I never took the time to ask my induction candidates first off what they even liked for a gift. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, they have a gluten allergy like you and you're like, yeah. <laughs> providing them a cake pop. Oh yeah. I never brought one for myself. So how awkward is that? First off that I'm like, here's a snack, eat it. We're going to sit and have a conversation. No, I'm not eating it because I'm allergic to what you're eating. <laughs> like, I didn't ask that, which fine. They both ate it every time. So I'm really hoping neither of them have a gluten intolerance. I'm sure they <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah. Otherwise they ate it because they felt bad, but I actually ended up focusing more on the gift because to me, it was like, that's how you build a relationship in the training. They said, bring gifts. And then I'm going to have this great relationship. I focused more on the gift than truly learning about these two teachers and building a relationship with them. And they were two teachers that were both music which mm. I don't teach music. And so I was kind of coming in like at this odd position anyways, where had I just spent that, you know, the first three meetings, four meetings, actually every single meeting, but spent time getting to know them as humans and as people, I think they could care less about the muffin. I truly <laughs> do like the muffin. I'm sure it tasted great, but I think they could have cared less about that and would have appreciated if I had spent more time asking them about themselves and wanting to get to know them and coming back and asking, you know, if I ask about their family one time or get to know their family more about their family, then I can bring that in the follow-up meeting where I didn't do that. I was like, right. I brought you a gift. So we must be friends. Now let's dive into your teaching. Now I'm going to observe you and I'm going to give you some feedback. Here's another muffin. Let's dive into what you could do different. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous looking back that I was more worried about that than the true genuine relationship. And then it also plays into, you know, the different love languages that people have mm -hmm. and relationship languages. Maybe they weren't even gift people. And by the end of the year, I would say we got to know each other, but it was the slowest process. And it's because I came in without truly building a relationship and thought the muffin would do the trick. So huge lesson learned for me. <laughs> I will not yeah. make that mistake again. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, a muffin always makes things a little sweeter in my world as well, but yeah, I get it. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with gifts, but I think no. the, your main point of like getting to know them first, absolutely would be so much more valuable. I think about our students too, like in that regard, right? Like we want to cater things to their interests and their needs, but we have to get to know those interests and <laughs> needs before, you know, we do it. And it's great that there's food. I mean, don't get me wrong. My kids love snacks, but getting to know, like maybe what type of snack they would like would be kind of more effective and more meaningful rather than just like I'm bringing gifts. But I think, I think that that's a common thing to be honest, because I've been a mentor to like a handful of people now over the course of the last eight years, I don't do gifts enough. I feel really bad because I, I don't go out of my way. And so I think that there is a fine balance because I do think it's appreciated once in a while. Yeah. But you brought up students. Could you imagine if you were like, Hey, I'm your new teacher here to teach you. I put a muffin on your table. So now we're friends. Yeah. So now <laughs> let's dive into content. Like that's so ridiculous. There is a fine balance. People do like gifts, but there's I would rather someone take the time to get to know me than try to assume that I want to eat or drink something special. Yeah. So 
lesson learned, but, uh, Shannon, I want to hear about (laughs) your lesson learned with mentoring. I, I, I love mentoring. I, I would say of all the roles that I, you know, have in my life, in my educational career, like mentoring is up there with teaching for me. I feel like the difference between coaching and mentoring is a lot of the time uh, you get more of a space of relationship. That's like a longer relationship because with the mentee, you're working with them for a couple of years, right? Where with coaching, it could be just like a coaching cycle, not saying you can't coach somebody for years, but specifically my current mentee, he started out without a credential. He wasn't in a induction or I'm sorry, an intern like role or program. He started out on just basic. I've passed my CBEST, which is like a California basic skills test. And he got thrown in and there's a whole process. I'm not going to go into details about it, but, um, long story short, this is our third year together. We've been working together Mm -hmm. for three years and, um, early in our mentoring relationship, uh, you know, he also teaches English there's a lot of conversations about classroom practice. And you kind of brought this up earlier about how like there may be a right way to do things in your world, but also you need to adapt to the fact that there are other ways of doing things too, you know? And so when I first started mentoring him, I found myself early on really, truly enabling, like he didn't have student teaching. He wasn't in any program. He literally was just learning on the job. He didn't go through the credential process yet and he wouldn't be oh. going through it for a couple of years. He had to still pass some tests before he can enter into an intern program. So long story short, he was just in a classroom doing the thing. So we worked together quite a bit, but what I found uh, early in our kind of relationship was that he would ask questions, but they weren't in a way to like gain deeper knowledge. They were in a way to like create the lesson. So essentially he was asking me questions of like, that my answers would be, here's how you're going to do it, not challenging him to figure out what works for him. And what I found is I was enabling. The lesson I learned is like, we cannot enable new educators. We can't give them everything on a silver platter. I'm not saying that we, you know, have to be like super rude about it and be like, figure it out on your own. (laughs) That's not the case (laughs) because that's not, that's not how mentor relationships work, but It is important for us to build that resilience and help them kind of cope with the challenges that come in. And so as I worked with him and uh, started to see that he was literally trying to mimic everything that I was doing in my own practice, uh, I quickly found that he wasn't being as successful as he could be. As a professional learning community, we could work together in pacing and planning and curriculum, but it really is up to the educator to determine like their own artistry, how that delivery works and what they need to do to make sure that they're catering to their own teaching style. When you try to mimic someone else's style, you fall flat. And so I was enabling that. I would literally tell him I step-by-step, step, here's what I'm going to do first. This is what I'm going to say next, you know? And so after about like a semester of that and just watching him get discouraged because it wasn't working the same way it was working in my classroom, I took a step back and I actually reached out to our induction uh, director, the person in charge of the district office. And I said, let's chat about this because I'm seeing this. He's getting discouraged. How do I approach it? How do I fix it? And we started to dive into this concept of asking questions and the value of like asking questions in the exchange, which seems so simple, right? But questions that actually encourage the mentee, which you talked about this earlier, but encourage the mentee to go through that, uh, those phases of productive struggle. 
and figure it out for themselves. Not saying that I totally gave up and was hands off. I mean, I supported him in every which way I could, but instead of when he asked me about, you know, what would you do in this scenario? I have a student that is, you know, acting up no matter what I tell them to do. Like they always have to have the last word and they're disrupting everybody around them. What would you do in that scenario? It was no longer, well, here's what, here's my approach. What I would say is, well, what outcome do you want to see? Ultimately, what would the student be doing in that space that would make you satisfied? And he would express that. Okay, great. Now, how will you support that student in that endeavor, right? Do they understand? Do you think they understand the expectation of learning? And he would think on it, right? Yes or no. Okay, cool. So what kind of things could you put? So it was a constant, like, you know, I do this to my students all the time. The the question I ask all the time is, well, why? When they make a statement and then follow that up with, well, why? When they like answer and it Mm -hmm. just keeps going, right? Because I'm trying to show the logical line of progression. And the same applies, I think, to our mentor-mentee relationships. We need to step back, realize that like we may be satisfied with what's going on in our own classroom, but we got to give, we got to give our mentees the space to figure it out for their own selves, find that resilience in those challenges because you know, learning transfers that way. If yeah. I just constantly, it's the same with students. If we if we ask them to memorize a set of like concepts. As soon as that test is done, those, those concepts are out the window, right? Memorization doesn't prove to be the most effective approach, but if we're allowing students to investigate a concept to its fullest capacity, that learning is going to transfer, that learning is going to stick. And when they encounter a situation that has to do with that concept in the future, they're going to have that previously held experience that they worked through and struggled through, and it'll be that much easier to cope with it. It's, it's really with anything. And so I think the, the same applies to, to mentees as well. Oh, for sure. You need to like facilitate the learning just like you would for students. You brought in a lot about students and the example that keeps going through my head with this is, you know, if I have a second grader ask me, well, what does a plant need to grow? And I say a plant needs water and air and they don't necessarily need soil, but if you want them to grow X, Y, Z, they need this. I give them the answer. They say, okay, they walk away. And then a day later, do they remember that? Maybe. But instead, if I would to facilitate that and say, well, let's find out where could we start? What do we need? And we actually go through it. Students are going to remember exactly a plant needs water and air. Anything beyond that is just going to help it, you know, thrive in its environment. If we just give our mentees the answers, it's like, okay, tried it. Nope, that didn't work. So your answer's wrong. No, it's probably not wrong. It's just not what you needed because you didn't take the time to facilitate that learning. Seriously, a wonderful lesson learned. Uh, again, I have a feeling a lot of people listening are like, yep, <laughs> <laughs> been there. Done that. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's too easy to do, to give the answer. You have a student acting up here. Try this. It'll work. Well, and, and also there's an, there's an element of like, oh, I've been assigned this mentee. Like sometimes yes. pride creeps up, like oh, yeah. sit at my feet and, and take everything <laughs> in, right? Like that mentality. And granted, that's not my mentality often no. because- I'm constantly trying to evolve, but I'm not going to lie when I say, if I have a lesson that I knock out of the park and it doesn't work for them, right. Or, or I say, you know, you should really try this and then it doesn't work for them. What does that do for my pride? Right? Like maybe it's not such a great lesson, but the reality is it is, it probably is. It's just Mm -hmm. the way in which I deliver it. My style of delivery is very different than the next person. And that's okay because we don't need to mimic a bunch of Shannons, right? That doesn't need to be what the world 
uh, of education includes, like, because there's students that I can't reach that my mentee can. And uh, his, his style is, you know, he's exceptional. He's an exceptional educator and has grown a whole lot over the last three years. And I've learned a lot from him, but I, I had to learn quickly that, you know, if I question everything in my real life, why am I not leading with questions in this relationship as well? Right. And I found it was mostly pride and I needed to squash that. So let's dive into our last one, which is lessons learned in leadership positions. Shannon, kick us off, man, guys, if you're like me, (laughs) you know, you're constantly reflecting on yourself as a leader. And uh, I just want to kind of state this first, you know, when we say leadership, we truly believe in Becky will attest. And so will Georgina, because we've talked about this as the three caffeinated coaches, Leaders are everywhere in education. If you are in education, you are a leader. Even if you don't maybe hold a leadership role, if you're a teacher, you're leading a group of students. And so just just let's be clear. Like when we talk about leadership, I want to reiterate that one more time. You are a leader. So this, um, I want you to think about your own experiences as we kind of talk about ours. So one of the actual leadership positions that I do, I say all that, and then I'm going to jump into the leadership position I hold, <laughs> but one of the actual leadership positions I've held over the last three years, I've actually uh, became the English department head or the, the English department chair. And so what that meant for me when I stepped into that role, uh, and I'm going to take you back to the beginning, what that meant is then now I had a voice at the table, right? So uh, our department chair team would meet with all of our administrators once a week to kind of talk about what's going on across campus and in our, our subsequent, you know, departments and all that good stuff. Right. When I first joined that leadership team and I went to my first few meetings, I came in with the idea of, I'm just going to get my bearings, right. I'm going to sit back. Some people who are in these roles have been doing it for 10 years plus, right. There's a couple of people that have been a department chair in their department for like, I think the most longest has been 15 years. Wow. And so here I come, I know, and, and granted our school does require individuals to apply every single year. So they've had the support of their team, I guess for a while. But, but the point is, is I went to the table thinking, you know, Shannon, you always are kind of touting how you're an observer of the world. This is the same. You can't come in here barking orders or changes, you know, because you're just one person, you need to get your bearings, figure it out. And then you could start adding to the conversation because right now you have nothing to add. That was my mentality. And I think in that there is some wisdom, right? Like learning from those that have experiences is wise. Uh, I think that we need to reflect on that. However, I've also learned over the last three years that in leadership, timidity does not have a place Mm -mm. because if you want meaningful change to happen, You have to become part of the conversation. I think a lot of the time as leaders, when we embark in something new, we wait for individuals to invite us into the conversation. Education's too fast paced. It's constantly evolving. And so if you are passionate about something, there is no room to be invited in. Think about it, right? Leaders are passionate individuals who are constantly looking for solutions to move forward. And if you don't jump on the train as it's moving, you're going to get left behind because you're not sitting in a room full of followers. You're sitting in a room full of leaders and people that pride themselves in that position. And so timidity does not have a place. Uh, I think sometimes what I, what I found myself doing early on was this idea of being frustrated. They won't let me get a word in wedge edgewise. I can't figure it out. Nobody's asking my opinion. 
And I found early on, well, if you're passionate about something, stand up, speak up and do it early and often, because if you want to direct the conversation, if you're passionate about a focus, you need to, you need to add your voice to the table. And here's the thing. We should always be respectful in our expression. That's not me standing up and being like, I'm right. You're wrong. Like, that's (laughs) not what I'm saying, but I learned that I need not wait to be called on because I'm going to toot my own horn here for a second, even though I'm sure I'll come off arrogant. I have good ideas. Of course. Um, I want to see education transform. I'm not happy with the status quo. And I found that if I don't speak up, other individuals will be too timid, who I know are passionate, will be too timid to do so. And so, yes, I've been labeled as the person that's always like, well, actually, right, or playing Mm -hmm. devil's advocate or trying to present a different perspective than the traditional norm. And that's not always the case. I don't do it just to ruffle feathers or anything. But when I am passionate, when I feel like there needs to be another perspective or my voice needs to be shared, I no longer sit back and wait for individuals to invite me to the table. I, I seize the day and I speak up and I feel like that is a quality that has been cultivated slowly over time for me. And at times, to be honest with you, I have to put on a fake persona of like leader Shannon, because I'm scared of being the only one that's, you know, going against the grain sometimes. And most of the time it's received with like a welcome kind of perspective. You know, I, I think my administration appreciates that about me most of the time. Sometimes I think they're <laughs> just like Shannon, okay, we get it, sit down. Right. But that's fine too. Uh, at least I said what I needed to say and the seed had been planted. You know what I mean? For sure. No, I think that's, it's such an important lesson and it's so hard. And I think for many to be able to stand up and just say, you know, I have a voice. I want to be able to share. Yes, I'm a leader. So I I'm not just sitting at this table because I have no knowledge behind it, but if we can truly get our voice in and we know that what we are sharing is in the best interest of students, then I think, you know, we're really in the right place. So good for you. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a learning curve and we're figuring it out. I am at least trying to figure it out, but, uh, but I aspire to big things in leadership. So I don't think I'll stop. What about you? What about your leadership journey? Yeah. Mine is so basic that you, you might laugh, but Not mine, it, oh no, really it's basic. When you think leadership, there are clear set things you need to do. And I did not do this. So I learned, but I am a leader for our science collaborative. We have a science collaborative, myself, the other uh, coach, one of the other coaches, we lead the science collaborative and our first year leading the science collaborative together, we would decide what the agenda was each meeting like the day before be like, okay, what do we want to talk about with these teachers that are coming (laughs) together? We'd be like, okay, this is kind of important. Let's talk about this. And we'd bring it to them. We'd have some fun. Three months later, we'd meet with them again because it wasn't super often we were meeting. And the day before we'd talk about, well, what do we want to do tomorrow? We'd come up with something fun. We'd meet with them. We had no idea what was being shared back with sites, anything else. And so we did that for an entire year. Mm-hmm. And then the following year, we had to you know, get people to join Science Collaborative. It was one to two teachers per site that had to join. And we noticed that we didn't have many teachers return. Fascinating. It was new. What we realized was we had no set goals. <laughs> like what was the purpose of Science Collaborative that year? I, when I say, I told you, you'd laugh because we were in a leadership position without established goals and purpose. Hmm, so I really, we, common. 
yeah, it happened so often where we were like, this is going to be great. And the district was paying these teachers to come. And so they were coming, collecting their paycheck. They were like, I don't know what to do with this information. Cool. We met. I'm going to go live my life. And so I, we, we learned pretty quickly. Got to have clear goals. What did we want for the science collaborative? The following year, we did end up setting those goals right off the bat. We actually included the science collaborative in setting the goals, in establishing what do we want to accomplish by the end of this year? How is the information that we come together? Because it's a collaborative, which clearly that first year, the word collaborative didn't happen, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like we were just showing them stuff. How are we going to come together, learn new information, and then share that information to support our students and then bring it back to the next meeting? So although it sounds so simple, it was so incredibly forgotten because we were just excited about the collaborative. And I think that happens in so many different areas where we're like, we've got this brilliant idea. And then we do it. And then we later realize, well, why isn't this working? Because we didn't have a goal for it. Now, I say all of that knowing that even if you have clear goals and clear purpose, they can shift over time. But if you go in without, if your goal is just, oh, this sounds great, or this is going to be awesome, or it's going to make an impact, like how, why, what, what's going to make it great? Where are you going to make that impact? What are you doing to get there? We didn't do any of that. So lesson learned, establish those goals, set a purpose from the beginning. And you said I'll laugh and I did laugh just because the way that, you know, you're expressing it is funny, but you guys aren't alone in that. I think a lot of people get excited about initiatives and ideas and uh, kind of go full force and they just, they just go for it. It it reminds me of, um, you know, we're reading how to lead, right? Mm -hmm. And Joe Owen said in the last chapter of the, the part we just released in episode seven, he said, as a leader, your role is not to operate the machine but to build the machine and make sure it works the way you want it to work. And I think that so many times we are so excited about just getting in there, right? Getting our our hands dirty, our feet dirty, right? Like going for it, operating that machine, making it operate cool. Like you're doing cool things with these science teachers. Of course, they're going to get excited, (laughs) but the machine wasn't built yet, right? Like we didn't set a clear why. And that applies to all areas of education. But I think we get so excited about what could be that we don't take the time for those logistical steps to be put in place first. Right. And so I think you're, I think you're not alone as simple as it is. Sometimes it's hard to remember to pair back and, and focus on here's the immediate goals we need to achieve. So for sure. Good lesson. I love that. Oh, Shannon, this has been so much fun. We've gotten to share and I hope everyone listening in has enjoyed learning or just hearing our lessons that we've learned. I'm sure you can relate to some of them. We'd love to hear. Oh, if, please. Yeah. Please it, share with us. In any of the areas, some different lessons that you've learned. Maybe you heard us say something today that you hadn't thought about in the past. I know I learned from Shannon today. So we want to hear about that as well. And just know that we are both constantly learning. Yes, we have 19 years in education combined, but each year is a new year. Each year we take on new challenges. We're learning from those challenges. We're growing, evolving. So we might have to do another one of these in a year or so where we can see which new lessons we've learned, because I know we have plenty to share, but thank you so much, Shannon. This is fun. 
Yeah, it was fun. It was a little different than what we're, we normally have been uh, doing with our episodes, but I think that we are a people of, uh, who thrive off storytelling. And I think that that's the best way we can relate with others. And so, you know, if our former selves knew, I think that the one last takeaway that I would really encourage everybody that I'm going to hold tight to is like, it's great to have a lesson learned. It's even better to grow from that lesson learned. And so we talked about this before Uh, I struggle with the action plan, right? It's not enough to learn the lesson. It's what are we going to do with it uh, when we encounter a similar situation or when that lesson applies to future uh, situations. So keep on doing your thing, guys. Keep on doing your thing. Uh, reflect, learn, and we're excited. We, we really want to, to hear about your own journey. So reach out. We would love that. Hey, before we go, we do want to remind you about our ongoing 3CC's book study. We are diving into part four of How to Lead by Joe Owen, and we'd love to have your voice join us in the next one. In two weeks, you'll get to hear from Georgina. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to visit our website at 3caffeinatedcoaches.com. We'd love to continue the conversation, so follow us on social media and make sure you tag hashtag 3CC's. And as always, we hope your caffeine is strong and your inspiration is high.